chapters twenty four and twenty five of the last three soldiers by william henry shelton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty four the rescue when the three soldiers awoke on the morning which followed the kindling of the two fires philip was too ill to leave his bunk and lieutenant coleman and bromley were too weak to drag themselves as far as the rocks where the embers were still smoking the sun was shining on their united states window and when they looked out at the door the old flag of thirty-five stars was floating bravely on the fresh wind three cheers for the stars and stripes and for sherman territory cried bromley and the weak cheers so exhausted the two men that they sat down on the wooden bench in a state of collapse faint as they were from hunger they were still fainter from thirst and after a moment's rest they staggered over to the branch and drank their fill of the cool water and laved their feverish faces in the stream they brought a cup of the water to philip who lay quietly in his bunk and was altogether so weak that they were obliged to hold him up while he drank there there said coleman as they eased him back on his pillow you must keep a good heart for some one will surely come to us to-day philip looked brighter for the draught of water but he only smiled in reply the sun was warm outside but the act of drinking while it had greatly revived and encouraged coleman and bromley had so chilled their starved bodies that they put on their overcoats and buttoned them up to the throat they could do no more in the way of calling for help than they had already done men had died of starvation before and it might be their fate to perish of hunger but they had a strong faith that the fires they had built for two nights on this uninhabited mountain would bring some one to their relief they regretted now that the reading of the abolition books had influenced them to delay so long their appeal for help to reach them their rescuers must fell one or more of the tall pines across the bridgeless gorge but they were too weak to go down the ladders and what wind there was blew across the mountain in the direction of the gorge so that they would not be able to hear the sound of an axe a mile away time had never dragged so slowly before the sun lay in at the open door and by the marks they had made on the floor as well as by the shadows cast by the trees outside they could judge closely of the hour they could hardly believe that it was only ten o'clock in the morning when it seemed as if they had already passed a whole day in vain hope of relief it was such a terrible thing to await starvation in the oppressive stillness of the mountain that bromley almost desperate with listening went to the branch and hung the bucket on the arm of the old slow john which presently began to pound and splash in its measured way dismal as the sound was it gave them something to count and relieved their tired ears of the monotonous flapping of the flag and of the rustling of the barren cornstalks they talked of the old man who had died alone on the other plateau he too might have died of starvation there were no signs of food in the deserted house when they had discovered it they had never thought of it before but his cunning agent might have been a villain after all he might have grown weary at last of lugging casks up the mountain by moonlight and getting the old man's gold by slow doles he must have had some knowledge of the treasure for which he dug so persistently afterward and in his greed to possess it he might have deliberately starved the old abolitionist 
they thought of hezekiah walstow burning beacon fires in his extremity when there was a good bridge to connect the mountain top with the valley and yet he was left to die alone the thought was not encouraging to coleman and bromley in their weakened nervous condition and tended to make them more than ever distrustful of the natives to whom they had appealed they withheld these disturbing suspicions from philip but the more they pondered on the subject the more they were convinced of the barbarity of the confederates and of their determination to leave them to their fate lieutenant coleman wrote what he believed to be the last entry in the diary it was november seventh eighteen seventy one and on the prepared paper of the book which treated of deep-sea fishing he stated briefly their starving condition and their fruitless efforts to summon relief they still had the tin box in which the adamantine candles had been stored and into this bromley helped to pack the leaves of the diary already neatly tied in separate packages and labelled for each year if he had had a little more strength he would have carried it to the forge and sealed the cover of the box which contained the record of their lives as it was they set it on the mantelpiece under the trophy formed of the station flags and the swords and carbines and laid a weight on the lid after this was accomplished lieutenant coleman lay down and turned his face to the wall and bromley seated himself on the bench outside the door too stubborn to give up all hope of relief the warm sun lighted the chip dirt at his feet and seemed to glorify the bright colors of the old flag as it floated from the staff he forgot his desperate situation for a moment as his mind turned back to the battle days when he had seen it waving in the sulphurous smoke it gave him no comfort however to think of his old comrades and the dead generals and the cause that was lost and when his eyes fell on the ground at his feet he tried to keep them fixed on a tiny ant which came out of a crumbling log the small thing was so full of life darting and halting and turning this way and that now it disappeared under the log and then it came out again rolling a kernel of corn by climbing up on one side of the grain to fall ignominiously down on the other bromley was just about to pounce on the grain of corn and crush it between his teeth when he heard a sound on the hill and raising his eyes he saw two men coming on toward the house they carried long bird rifles on their shoulders and to his starved vision they looked to be of gigantic size against the sky he could only cry out fred fred here they come these electric words brought coleman's haggard face to the door and even philip turned in his blankets the strange dress and wild appearance of the two soldiers clinging to the door of the house and the fantastic effect of the afternoon sun on the stained glass window as if the interior were on fire so startled the strangers that they lowered their rifles to a position for defence and turned from the direct approach until they had gained a position among the rustling cornstalk in front of the door the various buildings and the evidence of cultivation on the mountain top staggered the visitors and the haggard faces of coleman and bromley led them to believe that they had come upon a camp of the fabled wild men of the woods they had never seen a stained-glass window before and to their minds it suggested some infernal magic so that the two valley men stood elbow to elbow in an attitude for defence and waited for the others to speak come on neighbours said bromley holding out his empty hands we are only three starving men 
one of the valley men was tall and lank and the other was sturdily built and at these pacific words of bromley they advanced still keeping close together we don't see but two said the stout man coming to a halt again where's the other one at he's too weak to get out of his bunk said lieutenant coleman for god's sake have you brought us food that's just what we have said the rosy-faced stout man who came on without any further hesitation we've brought you a corn-pone we loud there might be some human critters starvin up here with that he whisked about the thin man and snatched a corn-loaf from the haversack on his back how did you all get over here said the thin man it's seven years since the old bridge tumbled into the gorge there was no reply to this question for bromley was devouring his bread like a starved wolf while coleman had turned away to share his piece with philip the eagerness with which they ate seemed to please the two valley men who were willing enough to wait a reasonable time for the information they sought it was a fine opportunity to give some account of themselves and the rosy-faced man made good use of it we're plumb friendly he said and mighty glad we brought along the bread ain't we tom mightn't a done it if it hadn't been for my old woman insistin she lowed some hunter fellows had got up here and couldn't get down again and she held fast to that idea while she was a bakin last night time your fire was a burnin it certainly takes women folks to get the rights of things don't it tom my name is riley hooper and this here friend of mine is tom zachary and we're nothin if we ain't friendly poor philip was unable to swallow the dry bread and coleman came to the door with the golden cup in his hand and begged one of the men to bring a cup of water from the branch tom zachary hurried off on this mission of mercy it's a wonder he exclaimed when he came back with the dripping cup that you all ain't been pisoned afore this drinkin out of brass gourds that's what ailed Colum. long time he had the green sickness but his woman was cookin into a brass kittle and that might a made some difference the two men now pressed into the house to see philip and bromley whose hands were at last empty and whose strength was fast returning came after them i'm just naturally put out said hooper when he saw the condition of philip that i didn't bring along something to warm up a cold stomach poor feller say where's your frying pan at i'll fix a dose for him here tom wake up fill this skillet with water out of the branch that no flavor of brass into it and as he spoke he whisked tom around again and took the haversack from his shoulders no you don't said he to bromley who came forward for more bread no you don't my boy i've viewed starvin humans before what you want to do is to go slow a dose of gruel is just the ticket for this here whole outfit the rosy-faced man was too busy with the fire and the gruel and too eager to improve the condition of the men he had rescued to ask any disturbing questions and tom zachary was so considerate in the presence of actual starvation that he seated himself on a three-legged stool and stared at the stained-glass windows and the flags and the curious map on the wall it was just as well that bromley had removed the golden casters years before from the legs of the stools when they were found to make ruts and furrows in the earthen floor tom zachary would have been more astonished than ever if he had found himself rolling about on double eagles when the hot gruel had been served philip was so much revived as to be able to sit up on the edge of his bunk if it was delicacy that still prevented the visitors from asking questions 
it was a dread of overwhelming bad news that sealed the soldiers lips they had become so settled in their convictions and so confirmed in their strange blindness that they shrank from hearing the mortifying particulars so the five men sat staring at one another each party waiting for the other to begin soldier coats said the lean man nudging his companion and cavalry guns and swords said the rosy-faced one casting his eyes on the trophy and my affidavit said the tall one if them ain't the regular old signal flags one two one lieutenant coleman was thankful that his visitors had said nothing disagreeable thus far but he feared every moment that they would make some insulting remark about the old flag which they could see through the doorway bromley restrained himself as long as he could and then in reply to the three mild observations in which he thought he detected a shade of sarcasm he exclaimed well what of it we are not ashamed of our uniform or of our arms there ain't no reason why you should be my buck said the rosy-faced man soldierin is as good a trade as any other it's better in some said the tall one gentlemen said lieutenant coleman who began to fear more personal remarks you have saved our lives to-day we shall never forget your kindness or cease to feel ourselves your debtors you see our destitute condition we need food for the coming winter and seed for another year for which we are able to pay and if you know who owns this mountain-top we shall be glad to arrange through you to buy it well now i'll be gormed said the rosy-faced man if he ain't a thoroughbred as soon as he gets fed up a little wants to buy these here rocks does he tom who do you reckon owns this mountain dunno said tom with a grin if you don't well i do said hooper expanding himself with an air of proprietorship and there ain't nobody never disputed my title to this upper country are you willing to sell it said lieutenant coleman i'll sell anything i've got said hooper looking more rosy and smiling than ever so i get my figure very well said coleman if we take the mountain top from the deep gorge up at what price would you value it well now said hooper if you really mean business this year track ain't worth a fortune timberland in these parts brings a dollar an acre when it brings anything rockland like this without no timber on to it is worth fifty cents but considerin the improvements and the buildin's he continued i reckon seventy-five would be dirt cheap it ain't ever been surveyed but allow there's two hundred acres above the gorge lieutenant coleman already had his hand in the pocket of his canvas trousers and bringing out two double eagles he handed them to the rosy-faced proprietor as a first payment hooper jumped up from his seat and took the two yellow coins in his hands and chinked them together and tossed them about as if he feared they might burn his palms durned if it ain't united states gold money tom he exclaimed passing one of the coins to zachary who was equally excited we ain't viewed that kind of money for seven years in these parts have we tom tom endorsed his companion's statement in pretty strong language and lieutenant coleman hastened to say that if the money was not satisfactory they could probably agree upon some rate of exchange at this point of the conversation the two mountaineers exchanged some words in a whisper and the soldiers believed they were agreeing upon the discount between united states and confederate money to fill up this awkward break in the conversation lieutenant coleman began again to express his gratitude to his rescuers now hold on captain exclaimed hooper facing about whatsoever me and tom has done we have done willin and nobody williner and we're goin to stand by you to the end but we ain't goin no further in this business till you tell us how you got here 
the way we study it out you ain't treatin me and tom fair oh pardon me my good friend said lieutenant coleman i had no intention of being rude we came here in the summer of eighteen sixty four in the line of our duty as union soldiers and when the war ended with the success of the confederates what cried the two men together gasping in amazement at what they heard and the union was destroyed continued lieutenant coleman and the capital fell into the hands of the confederates and slavery was restored exclaimed bromley and the flag was disgraced and robbed of its stars put in philip with such voice as he could command the two mountaineers stood open-mouthed for a moment and then they burst into peals of laughter cried the rosy-faced man slapping his leg and throwing his wool hat on the floor as if it had been a brick-brack if that ain't the jolliest thing i ever heard and it's kind of serious like too why man there ain't no confederacy it's the old united states from canada to the gulf of mexico and from the atlantic ocean clear across to the pacific and general sherman gasped philip he's general of the army up in washington right now and general grant is president cried the rosy-faced man somehow the interior of the house grew vague and misty as if a sea-fog had swept in through the windows everything and everybody danced and reeled about until the soldiers fell away from the embrace of their deliverers quite exhausted by the excitement and the news they had heard while all this was going on philip lay back on his blanket and shed tears of joy over the wonderful news in fact there wasn't a dry eye in the room even the eyes of the men from cashiers glistened with moisture as they vied with each other in discharging facts like cannon-balls into the ears of the astonished soldiers they gave them a rough history of the end of the great war of the tragic death of lincoln and of some of the events which had since taken place in the united states there were thirty-five stars on the old flag when we came here cried philip coleman and there's thirty-seven now said hooper thirty-seven repeated the soldiers looking at one another through their tears thirty-seven the soldiers ate some more of the bread from the haversack and with renewed strength went out into the afternoon sunlight coleman and bromley supported philip and all five sat down under the old flag and as they sat there together like brothers the soldiers told the others why they had first come to the mountain and the bad news they had got by flag and the resolution they had made and all that had come of it and when they had done speaking tom zachary whose face had grown longer and sadder as he listened to their story said he had something to tell them for which he hoped they would forgive him i was only a boy in the war time said tom and i lived with my kinfolks in the settlement at the foot of the tenth mountain general thomas commanded the home guard brigade with headquarters at Qualertown in the cherokee country and he had signal flag men like you all and amongst the rest there was one named bud bryson now bud was mighty pert and he boasted as how he could study out any cipher that ever was made if only he had time enough so when the general heard that there was a yankee station on that mountain he sent bud with a spy-glass to make out the cipher and read the telegraphs for him many's the day i stayed out on the south ridge with bud and wrote down the letters as he read em off and turn em which way we would we could never make head nor tail of em it was a z q j g and such fool letters then after two weeks hard work bud bryson was no nearer to making sense of the letters than when he begun 
though he did always say that if they had only give him time he would have studied out the trick but the general got tired of waiting on bud and one day he sent a squad of fifteen cavalry soldiers to capture the stations the soldiers started up the mountain in the early morning with bud to guide em and give em points i went up with the rest just to see the fun and when we got to the top the soldiers rushed in on two sets of men sawing the air with their flags and sending messages both ways lieutenant swan was the officer's name a big red man and mighty mad he was when the soldiers took him they searched him from head to foot and amongst the papers on him they found the secret cipher bud had been looking for what with guarding the prisoners and the prospect of capture and more fifteen troopers was too scant a crowd to divide into two squads and so the captain ordered bud to stay on the mountain and give the stations ahead enough news to keep em quiet until he come back that game suited bud mighty well and havin nobody to help him he made me stay with him to take down the letters we had the camp just as they left it with plenty of rations and coffee to drink such as we hadn't tasted for years and every time bud looked at the flags he burst out laughin it was somewhere near the end of july when we took the mountain and that same afternoon bud began to figure the letters of his first message crooked accordin to the cipher and get it ready to send on tom he says to me with a grin i reckon we better kill off general sherman first and then he laughed and rolled over on the blankets next morning he sent the message and when the telegraph come back to know if the news was true he sent word it was honor bright and signed the lieutenant's name james swan it was three weeks before the squad got back from chattanooga way and all the time bud kept sending lies about great confederate victories he was careful what he sent too and figured on the dates and kept all the messages he had sent before wrote down in order so he wouldn't get mixed when we got all ready to leave bear cliff which was the tenth station bud flagged an order to send on that relief was comin now after we started east we picked up a station every morning and as soon as bud got his hands on the flags he began to lie more than ever closin up the war with a dash we had over fifty prisoners when we took the three men off from upper bald and there havin been six on every other station we naturally thought we'd found the last and the cavalry went away with their prisoners to Qualatown. Chapter 25 Conclusion After the straightforward story of Tom Zachary, which explained the cunning method by which Lieutenant Coleman and his comrades had been deceived by the flag messages, the soldiers could feel no resentment toward Tom. They were so happy in the possession of all the good news they had heard that they would have shaken hands with Bud Bryson himself if he had been one of their rescuers. Now I reckon, said the rosy-faced man, as he got on his feet to go down the mountain, considering the way things has turned out, you all won't care about investing in property in this upper country, and I'll give you back your money, he continued, looking fondly at the two yellow coins coleman and bromley however insisted that a bargain was a bargain and that they wanted the land more than ever they should go away they said the next day if philip was able to make the journey and lieutenant coleman pressed another coin upon hooper for which he was to bring them a supply of clothing which they could wear as far as asheville it all seemed like a dream to the three belated soldiers when their visitors had gone 
but bromley who was the more practical reminded his comrades that the anti-slavery societies must have been long since disbanded and that the gold was theirs by the right of discovery so after making a supper of the cornbread from the haversack coleman and bromley fell to work with a will stripping the mill of its golden bands and hinges and hasps and late into the night the windows of the forge glowed and beamed and the ruddy firelight streamed out through the cracks in the logs where bromley the goldsmith was smelting and hammering the precious metal into bars and beating into each while it was soft the impress of a double eagle reversed when all the gold was packed in the very cask in which they had found it and so wedged and padded with leaves of the temperance books that it no longer chinked when it was moved a book cover was nailed on the head and the package was addressed to lieutenant frederick henry coleman u s a washington d c the tin box containing the diary and the flags and swords and such books as they wanted to keep were gathered together and packed for transportation by noon of the following day the two mountaineers appeared again looking like old clothes men as they came over the hill when the three soldiers got out of their tattered clothing and into the butternut and gray suits which had been borrowed for them from the neighbor folk in the settlement the misfits were such that they looked hardly less comical than before philip was the first to appear from the house ready for the descent his hat was a bell-crowned beaver his trousers were turned up halfway to his knees and he carried in his hand the alligator-skin bag which had belonged to the beautiful lady of the balloon after they got down the ladders coleman carried the cask as far as the gorge resting at intervals but never permitting the two mountaineers to test its weight or even suspect its contents philip and bromley divided between them the flags and sabres the remaining carbine the map and the tin box containing the diary hooper and zachary were occupied with the six sad roosters and tumbler the bear ambled along behind the men as they picked their way down the mountain it was really a perilous journey along the rough trunk of the great pine which lay across the dark chasm but bromley shouldered the cask and walked over as steadily as old tumbler himself and arrived on the opposite side he set it on end in the tail of the steer-cart which was hitched to a sapling alongside the very rock on which andy the guide had been seated when he told the story of the old man of the mountain the tall pines were whispering together in the soft wind as unconcernedly as if it had been seven days instead of seven years since the soldiers had stood on that spot before and the tinkling stream below was still chinking on its way like silver coins in a vault at first philip mounted the seat beside tom zachary and took charge of the fowls jolting in a yellow croaking mass between his feet except the old paralyzed rooster which he earned tenderly in his lap he was too excited to ride however and presently he got down and walked with the others at every stage of the descent the soldiers were learning new facts about the war which made their return to the united states a triumphal and delirious progress by the time they reached the hill pastures where they were greeted by some of the very same copper bells that had startled the cavalcade going up they began to be joined by the people who had heard of their discovery they came in twos and threes and whole families to swell their train so that when they turned into the sandy road through the valley they were attended by a joyous procession of curious followers 
which steadily increased until the cart with the bear shambling alongside came to a stand by the woodpile of elder long misnamed shiftless philip took off his bell-crowned hat right and left to the women and lieutenant coleman greeted aunt lucy who leaned on her crutches at the gate among the purple cabbage heads with the stately courtesy he had learned at west point riley hooper mounted the woodpile and announced with a merry twinkle in his eye that he and tom had captured the haunts that had been a-doin the ghost business so long on old whiteside at which aunt lucy glared through her spectacles as if the remark were a personal affront to her and the elder exclaimed fervently may the lord's will be done when presently the mail-carrier came along in his one-horse gig lieutenant coleman wrote a hurried dispatch to the adjutant-general of the army announcing the relief of his station and the cask containing the treasure was committed to the carrier's charge to be sent on by express as if it were only the commonest piece of luggage when the sun disappeared behind the mountain ushering in the long twilight in the valley the crowd was still increasing and one of the last to arrive was the old postmaster from the cove when he came the soldiers and their deliverer were seated with the elder's family about the supper-table in the kitchen where the neighbors lined the walls and filled the doors and windows eager to hear more of the life on the mountain the great round table itself excited the soldier's surprise for besides being covered with a gaudy patchwork of oilcloth it was encircled at a lower level with a narrow ledge which held the plates and cups and knives and forks while the great centre was loaded with smoking loaves of corn-bread platters of fried chicken bowls of potatoes jugs of milk and pots of fragrant tea room was made for the postmaster at the hospitable board and after the elder had said grace standing he invited everybody to help himself at the same time giving the table a whirl which sent the smoking dishes and the flaring tallow dips circling around on an inner clockwork of creaking wooden wheels it was altogether such a bewildering and unexpected movement that philip nearly fell out of his chair and even bromley who had just laid a piece of corn-bread on the edge of the oilcloth dropped his knife as he saw the bread sail around until it rested in front of the postmaster very much as the blanket had fluttered down from the balloon after the supper was over and all the neighbor folks had been satisfied eating and drinking where they stood lieutenant coleman speaking for his companions related such incidents in connection with their life on the mountain as he chose to disclose he ended his long story by presenting the bear to riley hooper and the six sad roosters to tom zachary with a sum of money to pay for their keeping the library of abolition books he presented to elder long telling him where he would find it in the long cavern it's plumb quair said the postmaster after lieutenant coleman sat down you just never drop such things as a spy-glass we did indeed said all three of the soldiers together and mighty well battered and twisted it was said the postmaster i found it amongst the rocks a spell after the blanket landed front of my door and i always loud how fell out of the balloon the soldiers laughed i come dreadful nigh coming up there in sixty-nine said the postmaster say strangers he continued dropping his voice tell me true did you ever view the haunt up yonder we never had the pleasure said lieutenant coleman 
that's square too said the postmaster and you live in our seven years for i viewed it and no mistake that winter for i allowed to come up by gyratin and cavortin on the avalanche on the moonlight the same being the night before it fell bromley sat back in his chair and laughed aloud here's the haunt you saw he exclaimed slapping philip on the shoulders no no cried the postmaster getting on to his feet with a scared look in his face you're funnin with me stranger for no human could have got there where i viewed the haunt but he did said bromley and then he described how philip fell and how he got up again by the way continued bromley looking around is the young woman present who used to live alone in the house under sheep cliff at this question some of the neighbor women pushed forward a tall stoop-shouldered girl with a sallow face who struggled to avoid the gaze of the soldiers what for you want to know she said in a sullen voice still pushing to get back to her place against the wall oh nothing said philip only we used to see you through the telescope the soldiers and the family sat for a time in silence after the most of the neighbors had gone well i declare said the postmaster giving a twirl to the creaking table which caused the last guttering candle to approach him in a smoky circle how things do come round the light reddened the postmaster's face for an instant and gleamed on his glasses as he blew out the candle and pinched the wick and so ends the history of the three soldiers who remained in voluntary exile for seven years and were happily rescued at last end of chapter twenty five end of the last three soldiers by william henry shelton